World Cup fever on Soccer City. Later, we'll be taking a close inspection of the Mexico national team with my colleagues John Rojas and Roberto Abramowitz. Also, New York City FC continue their dominance at Yankee Stadium, while many wondered why Captain David Villa was not in the starting 11 against Orlando City. Nearly two months ago for our Soccer on the Block, I told the story of Mafuz Samare, the homeless immigrant from the Ivory Coast who found salvation through soccer. He witnessed the atrocities of a civil war in his homeland. He watched his father physically abuse his mother on a regular basis. She eventually perished from that abuse. Mafuz arrived at New York City a year and a half ago. He didn't know the language or culture, but wanted to begin a new life. Here are some moments from my conversation with Mafuz, who said he felt fortunate even though he is homeless. I have a lot of friends in the civil war. They get killed, they get shot. A lot of them die. So I feel so lucky. I get here safely. It will, it, it's not easy at all, but like, at least I'm, I'm alive. Like, I have an opportunity to go to school. It's not really, I don't have any, like, I don't have home, I don't have house. I don't have no money. I need to have school. I have something I can focus. I have something like, that can change my life and that can change other people's life. So, so, so you don't have a home, you say. So how do you get by? How, how do you survive? And, and, and where do you stay? Make friends by playing soccer. Sometimes uh, after school, I have to call them. Oh, can I come spend the night? Yes, they say yes. And I get to meet some people. And they really like me. I just go there. I, I don't go there early. I spend my time at Starbucks. I don't 11 p.m., 10 p.m. or 12 p.m. I can call one of my friends. Oh, can I come do my homework? the rest of my homework and then sleep. So Mafuz rotates between families at the downtown United Soccer Club, Dusk, where he met his current coach, Kevin McCarthy. Soccer means a lot for me. Because like, even when I, f- I feel so bad, I just, when I get into the field, I can feel so bad. But, like just hear your coach, your coach voice screaming at you, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what's your talent, you just have to give everything. That's like, that's our life. Life is if sometimes I'm like I can't have a bad day when I come here. I'm I'm I feel so bad. The only thing the, the coach want the coach want to tell me fight fight like that's how life is. So like my coach really inspired me. When I hear his voice, sometimes I can, I can do bad things. But when I hear his voice, I have to do something. I have to work for the end. He showed me you have to work for the team team first. So like sometimes I, I was like selfish. I, I'm telling him about I was selfish, but like since I meet Kevin team first like so that's why I want to try to do everything that's for the team and that's for him too I will do everything for this team I will do everything for him because like basically this this team changed my life a lot and beyond soccer education has always been at the forefront for Mafuz who credited his school the Broom Street Academy in Manhattan for his growth for school I, I get to meet those people those people who matter to me in my life now like if it wasn't for school if it wasn't for the school I'm going to I don't think I don't think I could enter anything right now. Even I'm strong, but like if it wasn't for school, this kind of school, because like my school, we don't have anything. We like 50 percent of the school, the kids are homeless. I need, but like the way they care, uh, the way they care about us, that's really the big thing. It wasn't easy when I got to school. I, I didn't speak any English. I have to work hard. I have to work like three times more harder than other students. And I don't have any computer to do my work. I don't have anything, but like. By the second quarter, I get the highest GPA, and now 
I was working out for the for the SAT and I get really good score in the SAT. It's all about it's all about the thing you want. It's all about like making yourself better, and that's why the, the school taught me. Mafuz gets up for school very early each morning, no matter where he has slept. In his college essay, he wrote, 5 a.m. is the beginning of my journey, the journey I've nicknamed Hope. Well, the rewards following a life of adversity that few of us could imagine have been reaped. This journey has led Mafuz to Fairfield University. He was accepted by 10 colleges, and he told me that Fairfield was not his first choice, but they offered him full tuition, full room and board, and put him in their honors program. In his words, it will help me learn more. He tweeted the following upon his acceptance. I still can't believe for the first time I will have my own little bed and don't have to worry about getting food. Congratulations, Bafuz, entering Fairfield University in the fall of 2018. And Bafuz, like everyone else, getting ready for the big soccer event in Russia. The World Cup, it's close, kicking off on Thursday, June 14th. So after doing some research, uh, discovering that of the 8 million people that reside in the five boroughs of New York City, nearly half a million are of Mexican descent. And with that in mind, let's take some time to focus on the Mexican national team in this World Cup. A couple of gentlemen who have a lot of information to share about El Tree. John Rojas, the former New York City FC commentator, and now we're working uh, out in L.A. for OS USA and football MLS. Roberto Abramowitz is here, the Spanish play-by-play guy for New York City FC since its inception. He has worked for ESPN for over 24 years. Boys, welcome. Uh, I'll go to John first here. John, Mexico has qualified for every World Cup since 1950, which is really an exceptional record. However, there was one in there that they were banned in 1990. So what happened? So can you explain that? Sure, Glennon. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Yeah, that was the biggest scandal, actually, for Mexico. Uh, They were playing at uh, 1988. They were playing the qualifier tournament for the under-20 World Cup. And they registered uh, about 15 of the 18 players with over age, they were over 20 years old, but not just, you know, a couple of months. There were cases in which the players have five years more than the limit age for that tournament. So during the tournament, one of the, the teams that were playing, I noticed that and some of the papers from Mexico started to dig into the stories, CONCACAF finished their investigation with a ban for Mexico uh, suspending Mexico for two years, only for the under 20th, okay? But the Mexican Federation decided that they will not take this ban, and they went to FIFA asking to reject this decision, trying to get them free and play the under 20th. Well, FIFA took the other road and extended that ban to every single Mexican national team, and that's why Mexico ended up now playing on the World Cup at 1990. That's a crazy story. Uh, Well, Roberto, you look at uh, the record. It's really impressive. Uh, They failed uh, Mexico to get out of the group stage in the last two World Cups, but uh, round of 16 appearances in six straight, and when they hosted in 86, it was a quarterfinal appearance. 
this team has has had a, a, a certain level of success, but have uh, had difficulties taking that next step. Uh, is this the year they could do that? Well, it depends what happens in the group stage. And it's been interesting because everybody in Mexico always talks about the fifth game and how important getting to that fifth game is. And probably had their best chance in 2002 when they met the United States in South Korea, but uh, the U.S. turned the tables on them and beat them 2 nothing, which has to be probably the most sour defeat in Mexico. Because not only did they think that they were going to advance, but the fact that they wound up losing to their bitterest rival, the United States, just made it even worse for them. So uh, the chances on this time of them going, it, it really depends on results. And what I mean by that is that if they wind up second in their group, which is where most people believe that they're going to finish because they're in a group with Germany, so and Brazil wins their group, then they would meet Brazil in the next round, in the round of 16. And I don't think that there is pretty much any soccer analyst in the world that as the teams are composed now, barring injuries or anything else, that would put Mexico as a favorite to win that game. If they wind up losing to Brazil in a close game, that's not really a failure, although most Mexican fans and media will probably take it that way. John, can Mexico beat Germany in their opening match on June 17th in Group F and maybe move on and win that group and avoid Brazil? If you go to the paper and you um, see what's happening in the you know last two uh, games that they face each other, you will say no. But you know what? Soccer is, is a weird thing. That's why we love it so much. All right, let's, let's focus on the manager for a second, boys. Juan Carlos Osorio. So the most recent friendly, they beat Mexico, Mex- uh, Scotland rather, 1-0. And the headline in a recent ESPN article uh, says, Osorio's tactics taking shape despite fan ire. There were chants at the Azteca of Osorio out. What exactly do the supporters and perhaps the media have against Osorio? Is it the 47 different lineups and 47 matches as manager? Although he's won 66% of those games. What is it, Roberto? He, yeah, he has 47 games. He's won 31, tied nine, and lost seven. All right? But one of those losses was at the Copa America Centenario here in the United States and they lost 7 nothing to Chile. It's an aberration. These things happen. You know, you can have a really bad game, and another team can be, you know, on that day, and mentality changes as the game goes on, and one team lowers their head, the other team is just having it their way. But when they lost, they were humiliated by that. And so when you add in the two other facts, one, that he's a foreign coach. Mexico is probably one of the most nationalistic countries when it comes to not only soccer, but to everything. And so most fans and media always seem to have it in when the Mexican Soccer Federation hires foreign coaches. The second aspect of it is what they in Mexico they call rotaciones, which is Juan Carlos Osorio's pen, you know, pen and to go and change his lineup every game and trying to and basically using every one of these exhibition games and sometimes, you know, Confederations Cup uh, as laboratories. He's been using all these games to try to put together the best team and the best tactics looking forward to that first game against Germany and getting out. That has become a huge problem because in Mexico, they're always demanding that you win. It doesn't matter if it's an exhibition game or if it's a World Cup qualifier. 
he basically walked through World Cup qualifying. They've never had, uh, at least since this, since the hexagonal has started, the, the type of advantage that they had in this hexagonal. They basically walked to the World Cup, where four years ago they were saved by Graham Zuzzi's goal in Panama from being ousted from the World Cup, just like the United States was ousted um, in this round. So, Glenn, yeah. if, I, if I may, uh, one thing with opinion and one with facts. The opinion is uh, Juan Carlos Osorio is not going to win this. You know, whatever happens, he's not going to win. If they go to that fifth game or even further on the World Cup, Mexican media and Mexican fans are going to say it's because we have very good players. And if he doesn't, of course, it's his fault. So he's not going to win this debate anyway. Now, <laughs> now the lose-lose. Yeah, for him, is, is that's, that's going to happen to him personally. And then the facts are this. With, with all the experiments that they say and the rotations and everything that, that they criticize from him, look, from the uh, Copa America Centenario roster and the 23 roster that he used uh, call up for the World Cup, 16 players are back. And if you see the Confederations Cup, that they played the last one with Juan Carlos Osorio and the roster that he called out for the Russia World Cup, 20 players are back. And one that is not coming back is Nestor Araujo, who is out for injury. He's not experimenting anything. Or, or basically, he's using a process to get a good roster for that tournament. And one of the, the, the elements, the basic uh, concept that he uses for the rotation, as they call it, is when you play on a national level, you need to be ready for everything that the games are throwing at you. And if I have a player that never, ever has experimented a second position, for example, I cannot ask him to do it well. If I have a center back and I need him as a fullback, then how can I ask him to do well if I never give him the chance to prove himself on that position? So he's doing that during his process. So basically, the 23 players that he's taking to Russia are capable to play at least, at least, at minimum, two positions for him. Well, the irony here is that Osorio, when this is all said and done in the World Cup, could be at or near the top of the list as a candidate for the U.S. men's national team position. Uh, we're with John Rojas and Roberto Abramowitz. Uh, finally, want to ask about the Dos Santos brothers who were added to the roster, and uh, Gio Dos Santos, who has really uh, not risen in MLS, but he scored the goal against Scotland in that 1-0 win, and uh, despite his... Uh, lack of effectiveness in MLS, he was brought in by Osorio. What do you think, Roberto? Well, I think he sees Gio's potential and the fact that Gio has been hurt, you know, so much. And that's been one of his issues is that uh, he has really suffered a lot of injuries and that has affected the way uh, he's played and the amount of minutes that uh, he's had. But, I mean, he scored 19 goals for the national team. He's 29 years old. He should be absolutely in his prime. And I think Osorio was was going to take him as long as he can prove that he was fit uh, for at least 60 minutes fit for the matches because I think that he believes that he's going to be able to add something. I don't think that Osorio is going to be a starter on this. And Osorio, I don't think that Giovanni is going to be a starter for this team, but I think that he's going to be, you know, a strong offensive option off the bench because he can give you a lot. He can play several positions. He can play the right side. He can play as a number 10. 
Uh, he has great, obviously, understanding with, with a lot of the players that are there because he's played with them uh, before. He knows how to win. He was part of that under-17 team in, 19, in 2005 that won the World Cup in Peru. So uh, when he's on, he's one of the better players on that national team. And I think that Carlos, Juan Carlos Osorio is betting that he's going to be on for this World Cup. And Glenn, what happened with these guys are, is, is something that is, is related to, to the global scene of soccer now. That you, you, you can see it you know, more and more in different countries, maybe not that much in Mexico. But uh, these are kids that are they're Mexican. They're filled Mexican, of course. They love their country. They have family in Mexico. But they grew up in different places. They grew up basically on Barcelona. And that's their style of play, and that is their mind. So the Mexican people, the, the, the press and the fans, they think that since they didn't win for a long period of time, being on their starting 11 or that Barcelona, by the you know playing at the side of Iniesta and Busquets and Fujol, well, they failed. Right away they failed because they didn't do a long career on Barcelona. So every single move these guys did along their careers has been criticized. Of course, they had problems on their own because, they're, you know, when you are playing soccer since you're six, seven years old in a tight environment like Barcelona, well, then at some point you lose a little bit of your mind. They correct their way. They go, came back to their careers, and now they're in MLS. And that's the other thing for them because they're playing here. That goal that they scored this weekend, it was a combination between Bella and Giovanni Dos Santos, both in MLS, both very criticized because – in the Mexican eyes, they're lazy people. They're guys with a lot of talent who didn't want to be at the biggest stages of their careers. It's not just that. It's just that people have the right to decide what they want and what is best for them. Well, a tough place to play, a tough place to manage. Mexico in uh, Group F with Germany, Sweden, and Korea Republic. They kick off again against Germany on June the 17th. John Rojas, OS USA Football MLS, Roberto Abramowitz. Play-by-play, uh, NYCFC and ESPN. Thanks so much, boys. The New York City Football Club, they are fond of life at Yankee Stadium. With the 3 to nothing home triumph over Orlando City on Saturday night, the boys in blue have now won seven consecutive games at home dating back to last season. That's the longest active streak in Major League Soccer. It was also a night when head coach Patrick Vieira elected not to start David Villa. You consider that Villa had scored seven of his eight goals this season over the last five matches, and also consider Villa's six goals against Orlando City, second all-time against the Lions. When Villa emerged from a pregame meeting in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, his countenance suggested that he wasn't pleased. Vieira had left the 36-year-old striker out of the starting 11. Every single decision that I make is, uh, is really tough and really difficult, and I'm looking at how we want to play the game and the characteristic that we we need to, to give ourselves the best chance to win that game and I have to make some decision. And I think that one was, uh, was a tough one because it's not easy to, to leave uh, David out. Out he was, entering his third match of the year as a reserve, this time in favor of you, Inga Burgett, Ishmael Tajiri Shradi, and Jesus Medina. What I wanted to see today was a different combination of, of players up front. So I wanted to see the relationship between Joe, Ishmael, Jesus. You know, I know that David is uh, is a top player. I know what I can get with him. And 
just for that game I wanted to try it, uh, different things and uh, and there was some good and some bad. Uh, the good was Shradi celebrating his return to the starting lineup with his second career brace. The Libyan national now with seven finishes on just 12 shots overall and just eight on frame. The game winner against the Lions, that curling strike with his favored left foot, Anton Tinnerholm and Maxi Morales on the assists. Morales would later score a crazy insurance goal with three minutes to play. Spins a little, finds ringing behind him. Wide right, it's Jonathan Lewis. You know Lewis will want to do something, and he does something. He's in the area after splitting two defenders. Medina off the bar! The follow by Villa! Off the bar! And a goal! On the third try by Maxi Morales! Whoa! Two crossbars and a goal! And all started by Jonathan Lewis... Breaking down defenders on the right flank. 22,000 plus making all that noise in the Bronx without their captain at the outset. Vieira said he clearly understood Villa's dismay. The player will never accept to be on the bench. That is why they had the career that they had. You know, we and I have a really good relationship with David. We talk a lot. And as a coach, I have to think about the team first before thinking about the individual. It's a tough decision. But that is part of my job, and David, Maxi, all the players who are on the bench are not happy to be on the bench. I will be upset if I find out that players who are on the bench are quite really happy. So that is uh, that is what I want for them. I want them to get frustrated when they don't play. I want them to come next day to show their frustration, working even harder. And uh, that is how the team will do well. We will win as a team and we will lose as a team and uh, today was David on the bench Wednesday will be somebody else Wednesday the U.S. Open Cup City visits the New York Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena the site of the 4-0 Derby loss earlier this year New York City looking for their first U.S. Open Cup win in team history then it's back to the regular season a marquee matchup at Yankee Stadium this Saturday Atlanta United coming to the Bronx I want to welcome in the radio commentator for Atlanta United on 92.9 The Game. He's also the host of a podcast called Soccer Down Here. Most importantly, we share the same alma mater, the University of Georgia. So hello to my fellow Bulldog, Jason Longshore. Hi, Jason. Hey, how's it going? All right, man. Well, look, before we get into Saturday's matchup, uh, I do want to go back to the beginning of this franchise. Atlanta United, it's just in its second season. And the thing that has stood out more to me, and not just me, than, than anything else, is the uh, massive support in Atlanta. Number one in MLS in 2017 in attendance, 48,200 per game. It's a little higher this year and still number one, 48,401. You had a game against Orlando City at the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium last year that drew a record 70,000-plus. That record's been broken twice you're a longtime resident there. You've been there all your life. Honestly, did you personally anticipate this? Not this fast. You know, I thought it would take some time to, to build this up. But Atlanta as a soccer market has been kind of steadily growing under the radar. And then Arthur Blank came in and announced the team in 2014 and just has made all the right decisions. You know, hiring Darren Eel so early in the process Hiring Carlos Bocanegra early in the process, all of the branding has been handled really well. And I, I think the biggest thing that, that Blank did is he's treated it like a big deal. It, it's felt different than 
some other MLS clubs in their markets where they're just speaking to the soccer community. Atlanta United has been put out there from day one as a member of the Atlanta sports community. And, and Arthur owning the Falcons has always had the Falcons logo and the Atlanta United logo next to each other. It hasn't felt like one is above the other. And when you, have, when you put out that perception that it's a big deal, I think people have responded as such. And, and you have a huge soccer following for Atlanta United, obviously. But so many more new fans are falling in love with it because of that. And Atlanta United just has this really cool melting pot of fans every night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium who are, you know, like me, who have you know, been involved in the game for their, most of their lives and people who are at their first game. And every time they say they're coming back. Well, you mentioned Arthur Blank, the owner, who also owns the Falcons. He submitted a bid 10 years ago for an MLS franchise and then withdrew it. What happened there? Stadium stuff, and I'm, I'm so glad that he did. Um, at that point, he was working on a new stadium for the Falcons, and it was going to be in a different location. The plan for the soccer team was going to be to build its own stadium because that's what you did at that point. And... I think he saw it maybe even before MLS did that it didn't have to be small, that you could play in a bigger stadium if you did everything right. And I know Don Garber's talked about it. You know, Blank had to convince him to, you know, allow it to play at Mercedes Benz Stadium because MLS had been so focused on building smaller stadiums. And, and Garber would tell him, like, how are you going to make this work? And he goes, don't worry, we'll fill it. And they have. It's it's just the way I think you treat it, and the way you the way you build everything to make it first class. And that's how Arthur's always been. Doesn't hurt to have an exciting team on the field either. Well, one of those guys is Joseph Martinez. Now, in the first game between these two down in Atlanta, two two draw. And New York City did a good job containing Martinez. But we need to talk about him for a moment. He's coming off his fifth which is an MLS uh, tying record, his fifth career hat-trick in just 34 games. Has he reached folk hero status yet there? It's so crazy to think about that. 34 games, you know, that's a season, and he has five hat-tricks. The record in one calendar season is, is three, and he has that from last year as well. 31 goals in 34 games. I mean, that's just unheard of and and people will point out you know oh well some of those have been penalties okay sure and he's created a number of those penalties with his movement off the ball he's just so lethal around the six and he's consistently led the league since he came in in shots and goals from inside the six a lot of that is the work he does off the ball but a lot of that is just completely being in sync with his teammates and he's a perfect fit for Tata Martino's system. Uh what are the discussion points down in Atlanta about this uh, match on Saturday? It's at Yankee Stadium. Just curious is there any talk about the size of the pitch? Always people get into that. Um you know, I I wonder what that's going to do to affect it. I I like the fact that Atlanta this year has added Ezekiel Barco and Darlington Nagby, two guys who can play really well in tight spaces and I think that's something Atlanta struggled with last year just you know beyond just being the first time there I think everybody kind of has a you know a bit of a you know an issue the first time they get on that field I think Atlanta will be in better position this year you get Nagby who's been there multiple times and Barco who you know could probably dribble his way out of a phone booth if he had to 
Uh, finally, you know, here's something that should really put a scare into Atlanta United's opponents. The Five Stripes will not lose a single player to the World Cup. So any matches played during this period of time where other teams are, uh, are missing some key players, Atlanta United's got their full force, and right now they're in supporter shield position. Pretty nice, huh? It's a great spot right now. And, and you look at how they started last year compared to this year. You know, they're, they're still scoring the goals. Um, they have two more goals at this point this year compared to last year, but the defense is much better. And that's an underrated part of Atlanta United that, you know, the goals and Martinez and Almiron and Barco get the headlines, but Michael Parkhurst is having maybe the best year in his career organizing this back line. That's Jason Longshore from 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. The NYCFC Atlanta United match can be heard live right here on WNYE 91.5 FM and worldwide on the TuneIn app. That'll be this Saturday afternoon. Join me with former NYC defender Chris Wingert, 12.15 for the pregame. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. You can hear it every Tuesday afternoon, 1 o'clock, on WNYE, also available on the TuneIn app and iTunes, where I encourage you to subscribe to the show. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great week of soccer, everybody.